0: If you take your Bibles and uh, at least to get started your study sheets, uh, because I'm going to make some reference to that as we begin here. Like I said earlier, we are concluding our ten-part series uh, this summer. Uh, Today, uh, we have been looking at Old Testament prophets. Uh, The series has been called The Prophets Club. Uh, We've looked at nine of those prophets. And uh, the 10th uh, this morning, there were many other prophets of God that we haven't taken the time to uh, look at. Uh, You'll recall when we, I think it was, uh, looked at the prophet Elisha, that there was reference often to the community of prophets, um, which I was glad for because it, reinforced the idea of the title that I chose, The Prophets Club. There was a community of prophets, it was called, uh, during those days. And we have looked at nine of them. They're listed there on your sheet. So I want you to have your study sheet for a few minutes here. Here are the nine members of The Prophets Club that we've looked at so far. We talked about Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Micaiah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Jonah, Hosea, and then each Wednesday uh, this summer we've been looking at Isaiah. So those are the nine that we've been talking about. The prophets were God's megaphones, you could say, because they are the ones who spoke for God. God would give them messages, and they would speak those messages to the people. They were the prophets club. Um, One of the things we're looking at in this series, and I hope you've caught it, is that these men were not perfect. They were imperfect, which goes along with what James said in his New Testament letter in chapter 5. He was talking about Elijah, but he said Elijah, who was a man just like us, and you can say that about every one of these prophets, even though sometimes we hold them way up, and we should, we should respect them, God used them in in amazing ways, but like James said, they were men just like us, they were human beings, and they struggled like we do, they um, had a difficult time in their ministry as prophets, they didn't always get the response that they would have liked They were mistreated, many of them. Some of them didn't want to be prophets, tried to talk their way out of it. Some of them disobeyed God. They were human beings, but God used them. I want you to do something, especially if you have been with us most of the summer or you've been catching up on the messages uh, in uh, different forms. As you look at that list of prophets that we've talked about, let's see. Let's do it this way. Could you mark the prophet that you think perhaps as we studied him, you felt the greatest connection to or you were impacted the most by what we learned about him? his experience, his ministry, how God used him. Um, could you pick one? You can't get away with saying, well, I could pick a lot. you got to pick one. Pick one of these that as you think back, as we talked about them, that's the one you really connected with. Um, in this series, he kind of was your favorite. Uh, somehow he impacted you and what we learned about him. Could you mark that on your study sheet? If you don't have a pencil or pen, just mark it in your mind. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to go through the list. And as I name the prophet, if you marked him, I want you to raise your hand high. So, did anyone mark Samuel? Okay. Very good. We got one. All right. Uh Nathan. The prophet Nathan, did anybody mark him? Elijah. Back here, 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 four, five, six. Ooh, A lot of people chose the guy who got depressed and hid in a cave. All right. Uh, Micaiah, the most unfamiliar one. Did anyone mark Micaiah? <clears throat> All right. Elisha. One here. Okay. Jeremiah. He's the emotional one. Jeremiah. Jonah. Anybody? Okay. Ooh. Wow. Got quite a few. He has the most votes so far. Hosea last week. Hosea. Okay. And then those of you who have been involved on Wednesdays, anybody pick Isaiah? Okay. Okay. Very good. Do <clears throat> you see what's happened here? God has used different ones of these men to connect with us and to impact us. And if we had time, we would share in what way we connected, in what way, um, what we learned about that prophet. Impacted us. Good. Praise God. Uh, he has used the series. We have one more prophet to go, though. Um, and I've chosen for our tenth and final uh, member of the Prophets Club to talk about Habakkuk. Habakkuk. So you can turn to that book. Um, it's after Nahum. <clears throat> Toward the end of the Old Testament. The book of Habakkuk. Just three chapters we're going to look at the entire book all three chapters uh briefly today you know it's kind of common that you hear about uh people <clears throat> naming their babies after bible characters you know you have the davids and you have the isaiahs and you have the um the pauls and you have the the james and you have jonah's i've heard of jonah's um you have Malachi's. I know some people named Malachi. I've never heard of a Habakkuk. Maybe you have. But Habakkuk is kind of a unusual name. We don't really think of that when we're naming those children. But we're going to look at Habakkuk. I was uh <clears throat> noticing this morning as I was reviewing for today that in my Bible, the book of Habakkuk is really marked up. I have studied and taught on Habakkuk probably more than any other uh, Old Testament book, and it's right up there with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as far as uh, being marked up in my Bible uh, in the Old Testament. So the book of Habakkuk is, is very important to me. I think it has a great message, and I really like how that message is presented, and so that's what we'll kind of look at today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will uh, guide us as we look at this prophet named Habakkuk. Father, we thank you for how you have um, touched our hearts and spoken to us through our study of these different prophets. Father, it's exciting to see the different ones connected with different people and that uh, you taught all of us in different ways uh, you impacted us uh, by different studies and what different men went through. And, Father, I pray that maybe um, what we see in Habakkuk and his experience would also connect with many of us and uh, become impactful for us. So, God, guide us as we we look at this important uh, part of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Habakkuk. We don't know a lot about this prophet. All we know from the text itself is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. That's it. That's all the background information that we're given in the text about Habakkuk. And basically, all it tells us is he was a prophet, right? Habakkuk, the prophet. And it reminds us, like all prophets, he received an oracle, a message from God. But that's it. Uh, We don't see anything else. As we go through the three chapters, though, we can gather some things, just based on the content of these three chapters. One is that Habakkuk probably was ministering and uh, speaking for God in the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, we've been talking about how Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. From the content of this uh, book, it looks like Habakkuk was involved with the southern kingdom of Judah, because it's going to be talking about things that happened in that kingdom with Judah and Jerusalem. And it makes us think that Habakkuk was present in that part of uh, the nation, the southern kingdom of Judah. If that's the case, based on the content, we probably are right in saying that Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah because it sounds like he's dealing with the same a uh, period of time in which Jeremiah was ministering. So that means God was using both Jeremiah and Habakkuk pretty much at the same time uh, in Judah and Jerusalem in particular. So based on the text, all we know is he's a prophet. Uh, based on the content of this book, uh, probably ministered in Judah during the same time as Jeremiah did so here's what we're going to do and as i'm talking i'm going to set up the stage all right um if you look at the book of habakkuk it's set up in an interesting way it's actually a dialogue between god and his prophet habakkuk that's kind of the way it's set up um Habakkuk and God are conversing back and forth. And so we're going to follow that. I don't know how they conversed. I don't know how the dialogue went. You know, was this in a dream that Habakkuk had, that he dreamt this conversation with God? Uh, did he actually have some kind of vision where there was some kind of form of God speaking to him and he actually heard a voice audibly and he and God were dialoguing back and forth um was it something that went on in the mind of Habakkuk you know the thoughts on God's part coming into his mind as the thoughts from his mind were going to God is is that how this took place uh, we just don't know Did he even hear an audible voice? We don't know. So we're going to pretend. We're going to pretend that Habakkuk and and God had this dialogue in person, each of them sitting on a stool, right? And we're going to pretend that so I get to sit down for part of this message. How's that? Um, On your sheet... You have the five sections that the book is divided into as this dialogue goes on. And to help you out, if you're a person who marks your Bible, um, which I am, and Michelle, if I came down there and showed you, you'd see all kinds of colors and writing here because it's my most marked up book in the Old Testament. Uh, I want to help you before we start. So if, if you mark in your Bible and you have something to write with, I want you to mark where each of these two speak. So that the next time you look at Habakkuk, you'll be able to pick out the dialogue. Okay? So starting in verse 2, if you could put an H there for Habakkuk. Habakkuk begins this dialogue. And he speaks from verse 2 through verse then, at verse 5, if you could put a G for God, this is now where God speaks in the dialogue. And the record of him speaking goes from 5 to 11. Then, starting in 12, if you would put an H, here Habakkuk speaks again. And we have record of what he says from verse 12 through actually verse 1 of chapter 2. Then starting in verse 2 of chapter 2, you can put a G because God speaks in this dialogue. And the record of what God says goes all the way through to the end of chapter 2, verse 20. And then in this dialogue, Habakkuk is the last one to speak. And you could put an H starting in chapter 3, verse 1, and Habakkuk will finish up this dialogue. So you should have five parts, and they're listed on your study sheet there if you want a visual of it. Um, We're going to call the first section... Sincere complaint. Habakkuk's going to be complaining to God. But he's sincere. He's honest. It's a sincere complaint. Then when God speaks, we have a surprising answer. God is going to give an answer to Habakkuk's questions that will surprise Habakkuk. He wasn't counting on God's answer. Then the third part, beginning in verse 12, we have a strong disagreement on the part of Habakkuk. He disagrees strongly with God's answer to his questions. And after he's presented his disagreement, God responds, starting in chapter 2, verse 2, with what I would call steadfast sovereignty. In other words, we're going to see God doesn't budge. The prophet may complain, the prophet may disagree, but God doesn't budge. There's steadfast sovereignty. And then the last part, where Habakkuk speaks, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to call that submissive praise. It's a wonderful conclusion to this dialogue between Habakkuk and God. Because it's submissive praise. Okay, so, <clears throat> this is Habakkuk's stool. All right? And we're going to just look at the text and follow the dialogue and see what happens as we go through this conversation. So here, let's start with the sincere complaint. Verse 2 of chapter 1. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Wow, does that sound like something an American Christian might say today? Um, Habakkuk begins this dialogue with God with complaints. And we know they're complaints because later he calls them complaints. But they're sincere He he means it. He's honest. And he's asking some very common questions that God has always been asked. He says, how long? And he asks, why? And what's he complaining about? What is he questioning God about? It's about his own people. It's about the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, his folks. And he describes what's going on among his people. There's violence, there's injustice, there's wrong, there's destruction, there's strife, there's conflict. The law is paralyzed. Justice doesn't prevail. There's wickedness. There's perversion of justice. He sees all this going on among his people. and i think it's very personal to the prophet let me let me show you why keep your finger there and turn to second chronicles mm. second chronicles 36 mm. here's a comment about that very time it's the time of Jeremiah, and I think we see, even though he's not named Habakkuk in these two verses. Verse 15, Second Chronicles 36:15. It says, "The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through His messengers again and again, because He had pity on His people and on His dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. I think when it talks there about God's messengers and his prophets, it's referring to Jeremiah. Certainly he's named in the preceding verses, but also Habakkuk would be among those messengers, prophets. And he, just like Jeremiah, has been speaking God's words to the people of Judah, warning them about what they're doing, what's going on in their culture, in their nation. Warning them about the judgment of God. And like the text says, they mocked him. They despised his words. They scoffed at him. And so I think, going back to Habakkuk and his beginning of this dialogue, he takes this personally. And he sees this going on and he's experiencing the response by the people and he goes to God and he says, How long, God? How long are you going to let this keep going on among my people? I keep calling on you to do something, but it's like you don't listen. I keep crying out to you about what's happening, and you don't do anything. How long before you do something, God? And he asked the why question. Why do you let this go on among your people? Why do you let them treat me and Jeremiah and the others the way they are? Why are you tolerating all of this? That's his question. That's his complaint. Before we move on to God's response, can you relate to Habakkuk? Have you ever asked God why? You ever asked Him the why question? God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this go on? Why aren't you doing anything, God? I've been praying and praying and praying. I've been asking for your help. And you just let it go on. Why? Or have you ever asked the how long question? How long, God? How long do I have to keep praying? How long do I have to keep reminding you what's happening? Before you'll do something. I mean, this is a real man. This is a prophet who is apparently frustrated. And he's asking those common questions. How long, God? Why? Why? Well, then, God answers his questions. God's over here. All right? So, Habakkuk, here's God's answer to his questions. Verse 5. God says to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. But then he tells them, here's what I'm doing. You say I'm not doing anything? Here's what I'm doing. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians. And then he goes on to describe the Babylonians. They're ruthless, they're impetuous, They sweep across the whole earth and seize dwelling places not their own. They're a feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. They've got all these swift horses. They've got a cavalry. They they fly in like vultures, swooping to devour people. They're bent on violence. End of nine. They gather prisoners. Like sand. They deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and they capture those cities. And then they sweep on like the wind and continue. They're guilty men whose own strength is their God. And Habakkuk is sitting there and he knows this. He knows about the Babylonians. The Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar have taken over the world. They've conquered the Assyrian Empire. And they're marching through nation after nation. And God's answer (laughs) to uh, Habakkuk's complaints, why aren't you doing anything? How long is I am doing something? I am raising up. Notice, I am raising up the Babylonians. I'm bringing the Babylonians. I am going to do something and I'm going to use the Babylonians to do it. I'm going to judge my people. I'm going to deal with my people just like you're asking. And I'm going to use this wicked, violent, power-hungry nation called Babylon to do it. And he says to Habakkuk, before he shares that, you're going to be amazed at this. This is going to blow your mind, Habakkuk. But I'm going to do something, and I'm going to use the Babylonians to do it these pagan, violent people. The way I would sum up God's surprising answer is, Habakkuk, while you're praying in Judah, I'm working in Babylon. It may look to you like I'm not doing anything. It may look to you like like, I'm okay with what's happening. But while you're praying in Judah, I'm working in Babylon. I am raising up that army. And I'm going to use them to deal with my people. Friends, if, if you're one of those people that relates to Habakkuk, and you've been asking God how long and why, why? Did you know that as you're praying those prayers, asking those questions, God is already working somewhere to bring the answer? And that answer may surprise you. That answer may be almost unbelievable. But He's working as you're praying. Well, God is right. This does blow Habakkuk's mind. He didn't expect this. Answer. And so he speaks next in the dialogue, starting in verse 12. Habakkuk says, "O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them To execute judgment? O rock, you have ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Referring to the Babylonians. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Do you see what he's saying? God, you can't do this. You can't use the Babylonians. He says, my people are even more righteous than them. And my people are bad. How can you use someone worse than my people to judge my people? And he goes on to talk about how this doesn't make sense. This isn't who you are, God. This sounds like you're condoning what the Babylonians do. It looks like you're okay with how they're just invading nation after nation, killing people, conquering cities. This looks bad for you, God. How can you do this? You're a holy God. And you're going to use them to deal with my people? And so in Verse 1 of chapter 2, Habakkuk says, Okay, I will stand at my watch and I'll station myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. So Habakkuk basically says, God, I'm surprised. This isn't like you. I disagree with your plan. This isn't what I asked for. I want you to discipline, judge my people. But not this way. You can't use the Babylonians against my people. And so I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait for your answer, God. I've stated my case. I disagree with your answer. And I'm going to wait and see what you say. Chapter 2, verse 2 doesn't take long before Habakkuk gets his answer from God. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Habakkuk, get some pencil and paper and write this down. Put this in writing. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. In other words, my plan is to use the Babylonians to judge my people. And if you disagree, that's fine. But it doesn't change my plan. It's my way, not yours. And I've chosen my way. It's going to happen. Count on it. Write it down. It'll be a little while, but it will happen. Because it's my plan. Steadfast sovereignty. The prophet could not change the mind of God. He can disagree. He can complain. He can ask the questions. But it will not change the plan of God. He is sovereign and he's steadfast in his sovereignty. And then he adds something. And by the way, Habakkuk, eventually I will deal with Babylon. And that's the rest of the chapter. You see what what had Habakkuk suggested about God's plan. That by God using Babylon to judge his people, he was condoning the wickedness of Babylon and almost putting his stamp of approval as a holy God on the kind of people that the Babylonians were. And so the rest of what God says here, after saying, my plan is going to happen, I'm not changing it, Wait for it. He goes on to say, and by the way, I do not condone the Babylonians. I do not think it's okay what they're doing. And that's what he talks about. So referring to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, verse 4, he says, see, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright. It's the righteous that live by faith. It says, wine betrays him. Speaking of this king of Babylon, uh, he's arrogant. He's never at rest. He's greedy as the grave. He gathers to himself all the nations, takes captive people. And then he gives these woes toward Babylon. Verse 6, woe to him who piles up stolen goods, makes himself wealthy by extortion. Verse 9, woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, who plots the ruin of many people. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes town by crime. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they're drunk, so he can gaze on their naked bodies, drunkenness and immorality. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. And disgrace will overwhelm you and cover your glory. He talks about Babylon's idolatry, verse 18, and how foolish and Worthless, their idolatry is. And then verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. So what, what God does here in response to uh, Habakkuk's surprise and disagreeing with this plan is to say it's going to happen. I'm not changing the plan. Uh, It's going to come. Babylon is coming. I'm going to use them to judge my people. But be sure, Habakkuk, I'm not tolerating, condoning, or okaying the kind of people they are. Once I have used them to do my will, I will deal with them. And I can see Habakkuk sitting there thinking. It's, it's almost like he's been put in his place by God. And the dialogue finishes with Habakkuk presenting what I would call submissive praise. He's kind of come face to face with the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge. The God's in control, and he can do what he wants. And now he's going to give his final response. Verse 1 of chapter 3 A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth, whatever that word is. It's a musical term. Okay? And uh, the last statement of the chapter talks about the director of music and instruments. And you'll notice throughout this chapter the word Selah. So it looks like almost a psalm. And and Selah was a term in in the singing in the temple where you'd sing so far and then you'd stop. And there'd be an interlude while you thought about what you just sang. So it's almost like um, Habakkuk's submissive praise eventually becomes something that was sung in the temple among the Jews. So here's his Final response to God, after hearing God's answers to his questions and complaints. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And here's an important statement by him that begins his submission. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. What's he saying? I accept your plan. But in your wrath, as you use this pagan, violent nation to judge your people, could you also remember mercy? I accept that you're going to show your wrath that way. But could you also show mercy? And as he goes on, it's like he remembers back in the history of his people. And if you read on, starting in verse 3, you, you begin to think he's going back to when Israel was in Egypt and how God let them stay there as slaves for 430 years. Can you imagine the number of Jewish people during that 430 years who asked the same questions of God that Habakkuk was asking? How long, God? Why don't you do anything? We're your people. The Egyptians are pagans. How long are you going to let this go on? Why don't you do something? 430 years. And it's like this conversation has led Habakkuk to remember that history and and identify with that. And he goes on to talk about how he remembers God did eventually deliver them and judge Egypt and close the Red Sea over the army and destroy them. If, If you read the passage, you can really see he's going back to that historical happening among his people. And it's like God's response to him in this dialogue has made him remember how God worked in the past, when people probably were asking how long and why. And how God eventually did answer those prayers in amazing ways and judge the people who had enslaved them. And so he remembers back to that. And then you come to verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. He's sitting here talking to God and as God gives his responses, Habakkuk's heart is starting to pound. He could feel it in his chest. And he says, my lips quivered. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. I'll wait patiently. Well, that's a big decision. That's a change. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I'm willing to wait, God. They're going to come and invade us, and you're going to use them to judge us, but then you promise that the day will come when you will judge them. And I'm going to wait patiently for that. And then his final words, starting in verse 17. These last words by Habakkuk are like the winning field goal when time is running out at the Super Bowl. These last words by Habakkuk are like that walk-off home run in the seventh game of the World Series. These last words of Habakkuk are like getting the checkered flag At Daytona. They're they're like that last second basket that goes through the hoop to win that basketball game. This is an amazing declaration by Habakkuk after this dialogue with God. Look at what he says 17. Though the fig tree does not bud. And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Marlon, how could you compare that to a last second field goal? I mean, he's talking about Fig trees, and grapes, and olives, and sheep, and cattle. What's so great about that? Remember this. The Jewish culture was mainly an agrarian culture. And what Habakkuk is saying is even though the worst happens when Babylon comes... And what's the worst that could happen to an agrarian society? No more fig trees. No more olives. No more grapes. No more sheep. No more cattle. Total destruction. Everything that their society got joy from. Everything they got security from. Everything that made them feel safe. Gone. What would cause that to happen? Invasion by an enemy army. He is describing the worst scenario when Babylon comes and conquers Judah. It's the worst thing. The things that give them as a people the greatest joy and strength and security wiped out. By the Babylonian army. And he says, even though that happens, here's the declaration, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, sure-footed. He enables me to go on the heights. End of dialogue. End of conversation. It ends with a declaration by the prophet of submissive praise to the sovereignty of God. God, I accept your plan. I accept what you say you're going to do. Even though it's hard for me, I don't agree with it. I wouldn't do it that way. I don't like how it looks, but I submit. And I will wait patiently. And even though it happens, I will rejoice in the Lord I'll get my strength from the sovereign God and he will help me get through it because he's in control. He's sovereign. That was the prophet's response to the conversation with God. So let me wrap this up very quickly because I think there is application here for us because we can so easily relate to Habakkuk. It's interesting. There's no record of his ministry, unless you were to say he's one of those prophets and messengers that 2 Chronicles talked about. Nothing recorded about his ministry. It's this conversation with God. That's what we have about Habakkuk. But you see the prophet's journey from The beginning of the dialogue to the end. You see his journey from chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, when he's complaining and he's saying, how long and why and do something and you're not listening to me and, you know, he journeys from that to chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, where there's this great declaration of his submission to God's plan and his willingness to rejoice in the Lord and the sovereignty of God no matter what happens. And we know what happened, right? Shortly after this, Babylon does come. Nebuchadnezzar and his army surround Jerusalem, lay siege. They end up taking the city, destroying it, destroying the temple, destroying the city. And they take captives back to Babylon. We know some of those captives. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It happens just like God said. It was terrible. But we also know that eventually God kept his word and judged Babylon, just like he said. And the Medo Persians conquered them and destroyed their empire. And they got a taste of their own medicine like God said they would. It was quite a journey for the prophet, though, from chapter one to chapter three. Can you relate to that journey? Are you on it? Have you ever been on it? You ever had things going on in your life or around you where you've gone to God and said, God, why? Why are you letting this go on? Why are you letting this happen? God, how long? How long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to let me experience this? Can you relate to that? The how long and why questions? Asked of God, have you ever been at the end of the journey where you came to the place where you able to declare submissive praise and say, God, even though I don't know the answers to these questions, even though I don't know what you're doing, you're sovereign and I will rejoice in that. And I will submit to your sovereignty. I will submit to your plan. I will submit to your timing because you are the sovereign God. And no matter what happens, God, I will rejoice. You ever been at the end of that journey like Habakkuk? Or do you find yourself right now, right in the midst of that journey? Maybe you're still asking the why and how long questions. Maybe you're still complaining. Maybe you're disagreeing with what it seems like God is doing and the way he's handling it. Or maybe you're getting close to that submission and declaring your submission to a sovereign God. Your way, Lord. Your time. Are you in the journey? Have you made that declaration of sovereignty? Declaration of praise for the sovereignty of God, the control of God, the plan of God. Here's a wonderful word on that. It says, It's a wonderful place we have come to when there is nothing left to trust in but the sovereign God. You want to hear that again? It's a wonderful place we have come to when there is nothing left to trust in but the sovereign God. When there is nowhere else to turn but to Him. When we acknowledge That he is all we need, no matter what happens. That's submissive praise. Habakkuk experienced it after his dialogue with God. Do you need to end your present journey with a declaration of submissive praise for the sovereignty of God? It's not going to end the situation. It's not going to make everything that has been going on so long and is so hard and you don't understand stop necessarily. But it's going to change you when you can get to the place of submissive praise to the sovereign God. I don't know what form that's going to take in your life right now. I don't know if it's going to mean something going on between you and God in your quiet place where you declare to Him your submissive, your submissive praise. Maybe it's going to take uh, declaring that before other people. Maybe you've done a lot of questioning and complaining about God in the hearing of other people and, and, and you feel in the hearing of them, I've, I've got to declare my submission. They need to hear that. Um, I don't know what form it takes for you. Is it on your knees? Is it on your face before God? Is it standing with outreach arms? I don't know what form your submissive praise will take, but we've got to get to that place. If we've been asking how long and why, we've got to get to the end of that journey eventually, like Habakkuk did, and declare our submissive praise. It will make a difference. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for recording honestly the questioning that your prophet did, the disagreeing with you. Father, it helps us. We can relate. But Father, thank you for also bringing him to the end of that journey where he submitted to you. He didn't change your plan, but he submitted to your sovereignty and declared that submissive praise. Father, may many of us here today who can relate to Habakkuk, who are asking those questions, may we come to that place of declaring our submissive praise to the sovereign God. For your glory, that the world might know You are sovereign and worthy of praise and trust. Amen. Amen. Our last song.